So we are in our, our uh, series entitled Ready, as we're talking about strength for today and hope for tomorrow. We've been going through this this past few weeks um, as we're looking to see what God has for us through his words to the Thessalonians. As I was, I was thinking of this passage and I was meditating on it, uh, I, I remember of, of uh, this, the movie uh, The Lion King. Many of you have seen that movie. It's an old movie. And, and in the movie, one of the, the things that I remembered most as I was meditating on this passage was, this, was the story of, of Simba after he had, had left uh, the Pride Land. Remember, he had run away. He thought he was responsible for his father Mustafa, uh, Mustafa, Mufasa's death. Okay? So Mufasa's death, so he runs away, and he ends up teaming up with these other two people, and he kind of lives this Hakuna Matata life where it's like no worries, right? And they're just kind of just going through all life problem-free and, and don't think much about it until one day when uh, an old friend of his, Nala, shows up, and, it, and it's a reminder of him of his past. And, and through that, he starts to begin to question, who am I? You know, what am I doing here? And he encounters the, the baboon Rafiki. And Rafiki starts telling him about, you know, you have forgotten who you are, basically. And he, he he's, uh, matter of fact, he has this vision of his dad. And his father says, you have forgotten me because you have forgotten who you are. And by forgetting who you are, you've forgotten me. And I think about that. And I think that, you know, many of us are a little bit like that. As Christians, we have a spiritual amnesia. We've forgotten who we are what God has enabled us to be. We always have to be reminded day in and day out about who we are. There was a movie a few years ago called Fifty First Dates, and in it the woman wakes up every day and she forgets who she was the day before. And I think many of us are like that. Every day of our life, we get up day in and day out. We're struggling with all of these different things, and we need to be reminded each and every day that we are children of the Most High God, that we are sons and daughters of the King because of what He has done for us. And we have to preach to ourselves who we are. As we go to the Word of God, we need to remind ourselves of that. I was speaking to a well-known evangelist, a guy named, uh, and I've shared his name before, I met him in India, by the name of T.V. Thomas, and he's a president of several different organizations. Uh, He's been, he has walked with some of the great luminaries of the faith, names that you would know if I told them to you. He knows them very well, talking to them on the phone often. And as I was speaking to him after he's been in ministry for almost 50 years, I said, he, I said well, what do you, we're talking about struggles in the world today. And he says, Christians today have forgotten who they are. There is an identity crisis within, with many Christians today. We've forgotten who we are in Christ and what God has for us. And we need to be encouraged by that fact because we're being besieged within without as the world's trying to get to us. The devil tries to bring us down, tries to get us so busy caught up with so many other details that we can't remember who we are in Christ and what God has for us. In some ways, we feel a little bit abandoned, like, God, are you there? You know, I think the Thessalonians felt a little bit like that as we've learned within this, uh, as we've delved within this very wonderful book, that this was a group of new believers. These weren't mature believers in the faith. They were brand new believers. They had heard the message um, of the gospel through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And we, we, we learned from the book of Acts that Paul reasoned in the synagogues three different Sabbaths. And that's when many people came to saving faith. Now, we don't know if there were three consecutive weeks or over several months, but we know it was under a year period of time. And they came to saving faith. But as we also learned, that whenever God is at work, Satan is not far behind. 
And when, when God starts touching people's lives, Satan is right there. And that's what happened in the Thessalonian church and in the, in the whole city of Thessaloniki. Is that this city started, the, the leaders of the city were not happy with people turning to God, turning away from idolatry. There were women that were coming home speaking about the truth of Christ to their husbands. I mean, men to their wives. And people didn't like that. Many people didn't. They thought it was a threat. So they ran Paul and all his compatriots out. So Paul leaves not knowing the full condition of this fledgling church. And he writes to encourage them. I mean, he had, he had wondered about what had happened to them. Finally, he hears a report from Timothy that, hey, this church didn't die. This church didn't survive. This church is thriving. But Paul realizes that they're still at a very young age. They're, they're babes in Christ. And so he's writing to encourage them and to remind them who they are and why he wasn't able to be there. What kept them from, from reaching, why he hasn't come back to visit them, instruct them and teach them. So he's writing to them to encourage them. And he says, hey, I want you to be ready for the coming of Christ. But I also want to encourage you and remind you to be steady in the here and now. We all need to be ready for doing that. We need to be ready for the second coming of Christ because he could come at any time. He could come before I am done finishing this message. Or he could come tomorrow. He could come next week. He could come in, in, in a, a thousand years. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. It just says to, we are to constantly be ready. So we need to be ready for his coming, but we also need to be steady in the here and now, reminding ourselves day in and day out who we are in Christ. And I know that some of us come to the church today and you're feeling discouraged. You're feeling like, hey, I'm worn out. I'm tired of fighting. I'm dealing with this situation in my family, with my kids, or maybe it's with my parent. Maybe it's at my workplace. Maybe it's with my, my spouse. It, it could be a health issue. Whatever it is, I believe God wants to encourage us all today by reminding us who we are and the riches that we have in Christ to help us get through the trials that we face, to hold fast to him, and to see what he has for us. So today we're going to see how we can remain, get ready for the coming of Jesus and also remain steady in the here and now. But before we go any further, I want to ask God to, to speak to us today, to bless us, to open our ears to hear what he has for us. Let's pray. Our Father, God, you are the most high God. You are the living God. You are the thrice holy God who is purposed to receive us unto yourself because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, today we come before you boldly by the name of Jesus Christ asking you to speak to your children, your servants. Lord, do not remain mute. Do not remain afar off, but show yourself to be the God who came near. The God who is our ever-present help in time of need. The God who is with us, who walks with us, who carries our burdens, who knows our sorrows, who bottles up our tears. Lord, encourage us today to help us to get ready for your coming. And also to remain steady and stable in the here and now. Not just surviving, Lord, but thriving for the glory of your name. That your name might go forth, not only into the community of Aurora, but to the farthest reaches of the world. Lord, glorify your name in our midst today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's jump within this text. I'd ask you to, to stay with me as we go within this just wonderful text. Let's start off in verse 13. He says, And we also thank God. Thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. Now, Paul is saying here, I want to encourage you, and here's how I want you to do that. I want you to recognize what happened. See, sometimes we need to change a perspective. 
I think I was, I, I was lamenting to a friend of mine uh, right before Christmas about something that was going on, and I was frustrated with some certain ministry things, and I, and I just kind of sat there at the table across from him, and he started to laugh at me. And I was like, this isn't funny. Why are you laughing at me? He's like, can you not see what God is doing in your midst? Can you not see the hand of God on the church? And I stopped and I sat there and he started elaborating and I sat there and I said, I'll be quiet now. Because God is blessing our church. God is speaking to people. God is touching lives. To give you an idea, I had, I, I had a woman that came into the service the other day and, and well, I hopefully we'll hear her testimony in the next few weeks. But she came down and she sat with me and she just opened up her whole story of her life. She started saying uh, all of the things that she had ever done and how broken she was. And she looked at me and she says, I'm homeless. And she goes, I'm a pro-choice lesbian, but I want to follow Jesus. I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you led with that. Let's talk now. Uh, you know, what, what, what is, and I, I started sharing with her and she started asking questions. And she goes, I want to know what this my friend has. And she goes, I see a joy in her that I don't have and I want that joy. And she starts sharing more with me, and, and, I'm, and I'm almost doing everything. And I'm like the worst evangelist in the world. I'm trying everything in my power to keep her from not receiving Jesus. I'm making it so hard saying that you don't understand. You've got to count the cost of what you're about ready to do. You're giving up your life of sin. You're going to embrace Jesus. You're going to follow him. And I, and I said, are you sure? And she's like, yes. And she's getting more and more firm about it. I was like, okay, we'll pray then. And I led her to the Lord, and then she, she got up, and she went to the restroom, and I came back, and I was telling David, I was sharing with David, I said, just how this woman came to Jesus. And, I, and then I said to, uh, <laughs> she was walking back up, and I, I looked at David, and I, I looked at her, and I said, you want to tell David what you just did? And she goes, okay, I've made the transition. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's the wrong language. <laughs> you, be, you came to know Jesus. And now you see this joy come over, and this peace. And see, we need to be reminded of that. We need to, to see it and be encouraged by God's handiwork and look and, and recognize it when it's happening. And God has been working in our church. He's working in people's lives. And Paul was reminding him of that. He says, we thank God for what is going on. You need to recognize that God has been working among you, Thessalonians. And I want to say that to Village Bible Church and all of the campuses, but especially we see that here. I mean, we're seeing it at our, our El Camino campus. We're seeing it at our Sugar Grove campus. We're seeing it at our Indian Creek campus. And we see that at the Aurora campus. God is working here. God is touching hearts and lives. He's bringing people from different backgrounds and different languages and different people groups and different religions and all kinds of sinful backgrounds. That's because of God. God is working, and we need to remind ourselves of that. You think that God's not working? He is there, and He is working. We can see this work through the, the power of the Scriptures. That's what Paul says. He says in verse 13, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. It wasn't about any human words that you heard, not any earthly wisdom or philosophy, but you received it as the very word of God. Why? Because the Scripture is powerful. It's the power of the Scriptures that's working people's lives. That God has tied himself, bound himself to the word. The scripture never changes. It is resolute and immovable. Nothing can shake it. it, can, it the words of scripture serve as the greatest counselors, coaches, and comforters. It's written with an iron pen on paper that can't be wadded up or thrown away. 
I, I, I remember hearing the power of the Word of God as I was talking with my friend T.V. Thomas, and he said, he tells me the story. His father was a, a minister with the Indonesian, actually in the Malaysian government in the 1960s and the 1970s. And he said, I, he started recounting the story. He said, after World War II, uh, Japan recognized that they had done evil to the people of Indonesia. So they approached the Indonesian government, and they said, we'd like to make reparations, which is a very unusual thing to do for the evils that we did to you in World War II. And the, the foreign minister was a Christian. He was the only Christian in an all-Islamic uh, and Muslim government. And he was the man that they were talking to, and he says, you know, you don't need to give us money. Here's what I'd like you to do. And he, again, all-Muslim-majority government, and this is a Shinto Buddhist government, the Japanese, and he says, I want you to pay for Bibles. I want you to print Bibles. I mean, it was like almost a million Bibles. And, and he goes, the government said, sure, we can do that. So they printed up Indonesian versions of the Bible on the finest paper that they had. So you have a Muslim government with one Christian speaking to a Shinto Buddhist government in Japan. In Japan, this Shinto Buddhist government sending Bibles to this Muslim-majority nation. And what happens? Because of the power of the Scriptures, revival breaks out. Because of one man's action. Because it's the power of the Word. The Word of God changes lives changed my life. And I'm sure many of you could testify to the same thing, how the scripture gave you comfort, gave you hope, convicted you of your sin, showed you who Jesus is. And Paul's saying, you didn't receive this as the words of men. You recognize it as the very word of God because the power of, that's in the scriptures that God has bound himself to, and he has said that it is powerful. The scripture is powerful and is at work in them, but the word is at work in them because of the presence of the spirit in their lives. The presence of the Spirit in your lives. Look again at verse, not at verse 14, 13, excuse me, the latter part of it. He, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So the word works within us, but it's because the Spirit of God comes into us to bring it to fruition, starts changing us from the inside out. Uh, at our Sugar Grove campus, and, uh, um, I, I was hearing a story, uh, one of our pastors was recalling a story of this couple that had started coming to the church, and they wanted to get engaged in a small group. They had zero Christian background whatsoever. And so they, they came to him, and they said, we'd, we'd like to have a special meeting with you. Can we talk with you? And, and the pastor said, Sure. Uh, sure, what do you want to talk about? He goes, well, we just have some things in our life that we want to talk to you about. And he says, okay. So he sits down with them, and he gets across from waiting for their question, and they said, can you tell us what's going on with us? He said, I, you have to elaborate. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. They said, something's going on in us, and we don't know what it is. He says, well, what? He said, well, we have a desire to read the Bible. Never had a desire to read the Bible. We have a desire to go to church. We've never had a good desire to go to church. And we have a desire to, to hear you preach. We've never had a desire to hear anything preached. And, it's, and what was happening is, is God was awakening them. The Spirit of God was within them. But they were actually genuinely scared. They didn't understand that was going on because the Spirit of God was doing something within them. Because, see, when, the, when God's Word comes into you, when His Spirit comes into you, He starts changing you. See, that's a hallmark to show that you're a part of God's handiwork. When you, when you hear the Word of God and it speaks to you and it nourishes your soul, even in my small group, we have a, one lady, and she's going to be mad that I'm talking about her again, but she's not yet a Christian. And she's been coming to the small group, and she's been opening the Bible, and she had to miss two weeks because of a thing with her daughter. And she came to me this past week, and she just said, I missed it. I felt like I, I, I was like empty. It's because God's speaking to her. Because there's something spiritual about the Word of God and being with the people of God that nourishes and grows us. That we're to take and eat of the Word of God. And it grows us. It's our nourishment. We even talk about that in churches, of being fed. 
by the word of God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that you can see that, you can see that you're a part of God's handiwork. Let me encourage you, encourage you. I see God at work in you. That you've taken the word of God and the power of the scripture is evident in your life. And the presence of the spirit is in your life. And not only that, but because you have persevered in the face of suffering. That's how I know that your work is genuine, that God is working in you. Look back at our text again. He says in verse 14, For you, brothers, he's recognizing they're part of the family of God, became imitators. You're copying of the, the, the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, we don't know what, exactly what was going on at that period of time the churches in Judea. We can ascertain from this passage that they were suffering in some way after receiving the word of God. And Paul's saying that not that they were intentionally going out trying to suffer, but they were suffering just like the, the churches in Judea had after they received the word of Christ, they become Christians. It says, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. You, you, you went through suffering. It shows me that God is working within you. That God is, is doing something in you. That you're not willing to compromise the word of God. That you're willing to hold fast no matter what the circumstances are. You're willing to endure persecution. Now, for many of us, we haven't faced persecution on that type of scale. Some in this room you have. I know that some of you have come from other countries and you have experienced persecution firsthand and you have remained steadfast. And you can teach many of us who are here in the American church how to remain steadfast in the midst of trial. And we, can, we would do well to learn from that. And also to remain, we see that it, compromise doesn't just begin, uh, by the way, when you're persecuted like that. Compromise begins in the little things. That if you're not going to be faithful in the little things, then why do you think you're going to be faithful and remain steadfast when the big things come? If you're compromising the word of God now in your work and with your spouse and your entertainment, why do you think you're going to endure persecution when it comes if you can't remain steadfast now? See, we need to be, re- remain faithful in the midst of suffering, steadfast, even when our spouse says, I don't love you anymore and I don't want to be with you. Are you going to hold fast to the word of God then? When you're, you're, you have a health ailment and they say to you, you have cancer, it's stage four, you have so many months. Are you going to remain steadfast? Are you going to try to look for all these other solutions rather than just focus on God and see what he has? See, we have to remain steadfast. They were remaining steadfast. They persevered in the face of suffering. Now, also being ready and steady being ready for Jesus' coming, being studying the here and now. We, we come upon this passage. We, we see here something very, very interesting. It's a little bit strange. Uh, many scholars have a hard time. They kind of scratch their heads at it because it seems so blatantly, um, in many ways, anti-Semitic. Let's look at verse 14. He says, uh, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And then there's a, there's, this is one sentence in Greek. It goes on to verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, who drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. It seems that Paul is going on a diatribe against the Jewish race. Now, so some, some many people have used this passage to justify anti-Semitism, the persecution of Jewish people. That's not what Paul is talking about here. There's, and we have to ask ourselves, why did he put this in here? Why did God, the Holy Spirit, allow this passage to be here? Was it so that we would persecute Jewish people? We would blame them for the death of Jesus? No, that's not at all what it's there for, because that would contradict other scriptures, such as Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where Paul says, My heart's desire is that all Israel may be saved. 
and that he becomes all things to all men by all means, that he might save some in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. So what does that mean? What is he saying this? He gives us a list. He's in essence laying out charges against uh, these Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, who drove us out, displease God, and oppose all mankind. He goes on, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Exclamation point. Wow. He's saying, what, I mean, what is he saying there? He's like, this is how bad they are. This is what they've done. And he's saying, is he saying this to the Jewish race as a whole? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He is saying to us that it is not wrong for us to yearn for God's justice. Paul is asking for justice. He said, God's wrath has come upon them. He's like, these are the people, this is what they did. He's not talking about the race as a whole. He's talking about those individuals who persecuted, who took out the prophets, who went after the Lord Jesus, who hindered the message of Christ. He's like, it's, it's, I'm yearning for God to show himself, to be just, to, to respond to when people are blaspheming and persecuting and trying to stop his name. Now, what does this justice involve? Well, injustice, it, he's, it involves justice for those who reject God's messengers. See, they're talking about the prophets. Many of them had been killed, such as Zechariah, who had been killed by King Manasseh between, uh, near the altar, or Isaiah, who had been sawn in two, or Jeremiah, who was stoned by his own people in Egypt at Taphanes. These are the prophets that have been persecuted for their message about who God is. And Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills the, the threefold office. He is a prophet and he speaks on behalf of God. He is a priest and that he speaks on our behalf to God. And he is the king, the coming and rightful ruler of the throne of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah that was prophesied since the beginning of time. He is the prophet, priest, and king. And, they, and Jesus is saying, there are those who killed him. And we yearn to be vindicated, we yearn for God's justice to be met out on those who persecute and who seek to thwart the message of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we shouldn't desire their salvation? No. It means that we, we should desire their salvation ultimately. Because that really is ultimate justice. Because Christ took that upon himself. We have to remind ourselves of that. Because remember, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights, desires all people to come to repentance and faith. So even the people that are our persecutors, we should pray for their salvation ultimately. And when that time has, that time has, I mean, we do yearn for justice, but, and we have to remind ourselves that justice delayed is not justice denied. That there will be justice met out on that individual, but if they come to know Jesus, then we recognize that justice was supremely meted out in and through Christ. Because we see that in, by the way, through Saul, who became Paul. Here's a man who persecuted the church of God. He thought to, to even take out God's servants, and yet he comes to the saving knowledge of Christ. I would much rather have that than to have someone just executed. I would rather see God's justice brought out in his life that he becomes a vessel of truth. So we see we should yearn for God's justice for those who reject God's messengers and also for those who resist God's message. Resist God's message. See what Paul says there? He says, they drove us out. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God. Displeased God. They're resisting God's message. We, and ultimately, as Christians, we do recognize that God's wrath 
is coming upon mankind. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. God is a God of mercy, but he's, he is also a, a God to be feared because of how powerful he is. As the psalmist says, uh, you are the one who forgives sins, therefore you should be feared. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God is all-powerful. He is not tame. God is completely free. He is omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He knows all of our thoughts. He is transcendent. He's above our ability to understand, yet he's imminent in that he is close to us right now. So we see there that, that if people are resisting the gospel message, ultimately we want them to be saved, but we recognize that those who reject God's atonement for sin, which is Christ, that will have the wrath of God upon them. And it is not wrong to desire God to show himself to be God because we're agreeing with his message and what he has said. We cannot resist. I mean, we we need to make sure that we are not resisting God's message because there are those who, who will, I mean, and who do, come against the name of Jesus Christ. So we need to recognize that we want justice for those who reject God's messengers, who resist God's message, and that requires us to remember that their moment will ultimately come. And that's what Paul's saying, wrath has come upon them at last. See, I want us to look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, "By by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. See, this text can have two meanings. Either judgment has come upon them right at that moment, or they're already under judgment. We get an idea of the second meaning from John chapter 3, verse 38. I want to throw this verse up on the screen for you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're already condemned. People already are under the condemnation of God. Everyone is. The entire human race, without exception. And that is just, by the way. That is just. People say, well, how can God choose some and not others? How could God choose anybody? How could God choose anyone? God didn't have to choose anybody. He was perfectly right and just to send us to hell in our condition because of our rebellion in our hearts toward him. That we were rebellious. But it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. You are, they're condemned because they have rejected Christ. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God rejected God's messenger. So they're already under condemnation. God's wrath was already there, or it would be. It is not wrong to desire or ask God for justice. We see the ultimate desire for vengeance and justice come from the book of Revelation chapter 6, when he says, the apostle John, by the Spirit writes, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out, With a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We want justice, God. We want justice. God is a God of justice. He will and has to respond to sin because that is his nature. To not do so would mean he would be unjust and therefore not be God. He's saying there, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Their time will come until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. See, he's saying there, we long for justice, for God to show himself to be God, which means the judgment of the wicked and the vindication of the righteous. That's what Paul is saying. 
He's saying that we long for justice. God, show yourself to be the just God, to vindicate what our words have said and the suffering we have gone through on your behalf. It's not wrong to yearn for God's justice for those who reject God's messengers, who resist God's message. And we must remember that their moment will come. As we go through life, as we experience hardship, as we go through persecution and injustice, suffering and even death, we must remember that it has not escaped the sight of God. God knows the struggles we go through, and he knows the injustices we face. As Psalm 56 verse 8 in the New Living Translation says this, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Not one tear, not one tear has God missed. He knows your suffering. He knows the struggles you have. He knows everything that you've gone through. And he holds them dear to his heart. Because that is the depth of his love for you. This great, big, unfathomable God cares enough for the hairs on your head and the tears that you shed. We must remember that God, God's moment will come. The Thessalonians needed some encouragement. And Paul wanted to give it. Look at verse 17. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored, endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. See, it's amazing. Satan tries to stop the word of God. He tries to intimidate God's servants. He tries to, to keep them and beat them into submission. But he says here, and Paul is showing that God values people and so must we. Paul longs to help them and he gives an example to emulate. And he's saying right here is we need to grow other believers in our journey. And in other words, we need to reach out. We need to not just share the truth of Christ, but then we need to invest our lives in other people, enlisting these other believers to be with us. Actually, not people that are not yet believers. We need other believers to help us. The Christian life is not a solitary one. We are placed in Christ's church, a body of believers for a reason. Paul had invested his life in others. He didn't keep all of his knowledge to himself. He was poured out for other people. Why? Paul reveals the reason in verse 19. And I love this passage. This is a passage that I I just glanced over when when I would read this in my quiet time. And when I started to really think about this message, I mean, this verse right here, it's profound. Profound. Look at verse 19. He says, For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting. Boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. See, Paul invested his life in other people's. They were his hope. See, how can other believers be our hope? I mean, we know that Lord Jesus is our hope, but how can, how can, how can Christine Chestnut be our hope? How can Kelsey be our hope? How can Jean-Paul or Pascal be our hope? Or, or Marcy or Gloria? How, how could you, you be our hope? How could, how could that happen? It, it's fascinating when he says this. He's saying that you are our hope. They are our hope because they show us the gospel is true and that God is real. When we see the gospel going into someone else's life and awakening them to the reality of who Jesus is, it shows us that God is real. 
and that our, that our lives and our faith is not in vain. See, it, it, it substantiates our faith. See, when we, when we share our life in other believers, when we want to see them grow, we are seeing them become more like Jesus, and then our faith is substantiated. We are supported. We are vindicated. I love it when I see new believers coming to Christ and the faithfulness of those who are maturing in their walk. I love it when I see each of you here each week. I know you may not think that, but I love to see you. And when someone's not here, I miss them. Because see, when I see you, you might just think, oh, I'm just here, I'm just going to church, going through the motions. No, no, no. When you are here, you are a walking testimony that God is alive. You are showing where your hope is found. And that's a testimony to other people. Your presence here shows me that you believe that God is real. And that helps me walk and minister more effectively. See, it substantiates our faith. That's what Paul is saying. You are our hope. You are our, our, our hope before God. It substantiates our faith that shows that God is coming again. That you are a walking testimony. So we also desire to grow others in our journey or to partner with us to strengthen our joy. To strengthen our joy. Look again, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy? Now, then skip ahead to verse 20. For you are our glory and joy. Joy is twice in these two verses. Twice in these two verses, Paul calls them his joy. Now, I've often heard, and I told Kathy this right before she walked in, I've often heard Kathy refer to her children as your joy. Joy. And I remember seeing that. I was like, that's sweet. I have no idea why she does that. And she'd put that on Facebook. These my joy. And I see that Paul has a very similar thing. I don't think Paul was copying Kathy. I think Kathy was copying Paul. But he's saying, you're our joy. And her children are her joy. And Paul's saying, my spiritual children are my joy. You know that? You bring me joy. Some of you. <laughs> no, it's true. You bring joy. Because you, again, you strengthen our joy in God. You know God desires you to be joyous. I'm not talking about, about happy. Happy is different than joy. Happy is fleeting and temporary. Joy is abiding. It's like putting gas on a fire or on a wood pile. You pour gasoline on the fire and you put that match down. What happens? It goes right back down. That's happiness. Joy is the deep embers. That's where the heat is. The heat's not in the... The heat's in the, the crackle, crackle, crackle. That's where the heat is. That's where your joy, is, where joy comes from. The joy is of seeing God at work in other people. Last night, we had an opportunity. Uh, Tom and Kathy hosted a thing here. It was our first international party that we ever had. Almost, almost 100 people here from, my, I think I counted, 13 different nations. It's pretty amazing. And uh, he asked me to share my testimony, and I gave my testimony. Then I walked down, and then our own uh, Mustafa, not Mufasa, Mustafa, okay, comes up to me, and he'd never done this before, and he goes, I want to share. He said, okay. I said, go on up. He's like, will you go with me? <laughs> I said, sure. I walked him up here. I said, Tom, you'd like to say something. He grabs the microphone, and he starts testifying about Jesus coming into his life. Mustafa's not perfect. But I'm, and I have joy by seeing what God is doing in his life. God's, God's transforming his life from the inside out. And it's amazing to see, to be whole, to hold. And that's my joy. When I see him, I smile. 
He gives me a hug and he kisses me. He's the only man I ever let kiss me. But I see God at work in him, and that brings my heart joy. Does that not delight your heart when you see God at work in a person's life? When you see someone discovering the truths of Jesus for the first time, doesn't that just make your heart leap? As it does to mine. And I'm seeing that more and more in our church. Seeing God at work. And Paul is saying that. He goes, we want to grow other people. We want to share the word of God with other people because it strengthens our joy. God desires us to be joyous. Now, and I love this. The Apostle, uh, actually, the Apostle John shares this too. And it just, it's just to support what we've just been talking about. This is in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. There's no greater joy to see when Jesus is working in a life. You know, it's amazing when we come together and I'm seeing God awakening people. I get excited. I'm excited at what God is doing in our church. I'm excited at how God is working through you. I'm excited to see people stepping into to service and serving in different ways and willing to give their time and stepping into different positions of leadership and willing to sacrifice or those who are being generous or those who are being transformed from the inside out or those who are, who are applying biblical truths into their, their marriages and their children and desires to grow. That brings my heart joy. I hope it brings your heart joy to see lives transformed, that you can be excited at what God is doing in our midst, be a part of that, that we're a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, that the kingdom of God is being, being built in the hearts of men and women, and we don't have to talk about it. People can see it. We got to go to a conference this past week, a summit. Christine Chestnut got to go there. And I got to talk uh, with different people. We had many people from our campus. I think we had six or seven that was there. was talking about the refugee crisis that's going on in the world. And we'd, inter- you know, we'd meet certain people, and they said, what church are you from? They say, Village Bible Church. They said, we've heard about you. We've heard what God is doing in your midst. What have you guys done? Which is open to what God has. It's cool to see what God's doing in our midst. We didn't go searching for that. God has dropped the Holy Spirit bomb on us. It's cool to see. We just see that more and more. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. But that's not all. See, Paul calls those whom he ministered to his crown of boasting before our Lord. They were his glory. I think that's strange. He's not saying I find glory in you, God. He's saying that these people are my glory. That seems odd. Seems kind of a strange thing. But he's saying that you are a crown of boasting. Now, crowns were given uh, as rewards for victors. They would place a crown on their head for those who would compete within a race or a contest. They were his sign of victory and vindication. And he's saying, you are my crown of boasting. I don't need that type of crown. You are my crown. You were the walking testimony that my ministry was not fruitless. You are bear the marks of, the, of, of God upon your life. See, Paul, not only does he call them his crown of blessing or boasting, they were a sign of victory and vindication. They were his fruit that he showed he truly was God's messenger and that he truly loved and served God. You see, by us growing others in our journey, we show the depth of our love for God. Do you realize that? We show the depth of our love for God. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And one of his commands is to go and make disciples. 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And he says, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. See, we're showing that we love God by obeying his command to make disciples and invest our lives in others. Disciples are made by living life on life, by helping one another, by forgiving one another, by encouraging one another, by dealing with all the issues that we have, by admonishing, encouraging, exhorting, rebuking, and giving our lives to one another shows them how much we love him. Now, Paul goes on to say here, and I wanted to show this last part. He says, They hindered us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. He says they're opposing all mankind. Their opponents are, because what happens is when people are hindering the message of Christ from going on a person's heart that they might be saved, they're saying to them, I am keeping the most supreme blessing and the greatest thing could ever happen in your life away. And that should cause us sorrow. We need to be able to weep at that, that there are those who are not yet saved. And we need to see that how much God cares for lost people. As one, uh, Christine Kane, who shared at the conference this past week, she made a comment that really caught me. Uh, she works with refugees in, in Thessaloniki, actually. In Thessaloniki, the very passage we're talking about, she's in that city. She, is, uh, she was born to refugee parents. She grew up in Australia, and now she's ministering to refugees in Thessalonia and Thessaloniki uh, and right across the border from Macedonia. And she said, God is obsessed with lost people. We need to major in lostology. He's obsessed with lost people. See, Paul reserves such a great condemnation for those people because they kept people. He's saying they're opposing all mankind because they're keeping people from being saved and keeping them ultimately from joy in God. May it be that we have that hope within us, that heartbeat to make his name known. If we're to be ready for his coming and study in the here and now, we need to be about the task that he has for us which means loving the things that God loves and doing the things that God desires us to do. And not just doing what he wants us to do, but being the people he wants us to be. And when we do, we'll find joy. And that will overflow into other people and lives will be changed and God will receive glory. That's an encouraging message for me and my heart. I hope it's an encouraged message to yours. And we need to resolve this identity crisis that God has called us to be ambassadors. You are ambassadors. You're also more than conquerors. You are new creations, new creatures. You're not who you were, but you're not yet who you will be. Your sins have been forgiven. The wrath of God is no longer on you. You are now an emissary and agent of the Most High God. You are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We need to solve this identity crisis that we have. We cannot forget who our Father is, because forgetting who our Father is, we've forgotten who we are. God is our most supreme God that has called us to himself to share his message with a lost world. And when we remember that, it enables us to get ready for his coming and to be steady in the here and now. The people might be, that we might continue to share and people might be saved and transformed by the very power of God. Let's pray. Our Father, You are our Father. You are our Abba, our Daddy. You are intimately aware of our struggles. Lord, even now as I'm praying, Lord, I'm having all of these situations come to my mind, people that are struggling with so many things. 
whether it's in their marriage, whether it's with their children, whether it's in their own walk with you. Lord, I, I pray that you show yourself to be God. And Lord, I pray that you write upon their souls and their hearts the power of your grace and your spirit. And Lord, let it be at work within them in such a way that they give glory to your name and that other people see you in them. Lord, I pray that the world might see you in us. Lord, I pray that we might truly be salt and light if you have said within your word that we already are. That we might be true representatives walking worthy of the kingdom of God, living our lives in such a way that people want to know who Jesus is. Because Lord, you have said within your word that we are the aroma of Christ. To some we are the smell of life and to others the smell of death. And Lord, may we, may the aroma be, be powerful. May people see you in us. Lord, please continue to do a work within us as you already are doing. Please bring that work to, for, to grow it, Lord. Give us your dreams, your vision, and what it is that you have for us. And may your power of your spirit be evident within our midst. Lord, by a changed lives. Lord, we want to see lives that are changed, that are transformed. We long to see you continue to work more and more, Lord. We're greedy because we are your people and we want to see you work according to what you've revealed within your word. And Lord, you have told us within your word that we are to long and ask for you to bless us by your spirit. That we will come to you, Lord, if it's just pestering you day after day or clinging, toward, uh, clinging to you, Lord, and not letting go until you bless us. Lord, please, may we cling to you. Just as children do to their parents when their parents are walking out the door when they're small, Lord, may we cling, may we cry until you are there with us. May you, we hold fast to you, Lord, knowing that you are God and you've tied yourself with, to your word and you've given us many great and precious promises. And Lord, I pray that your spirit might pour forth on this place and on people's lives in such a way that they are transformed by the glory of God. And Lord, may it overflow, may it overflow and erupt from this place in such a way that people who are not saved, that are living in in darkness, that they might see a great light, that they might turn from their sin and embrace the Savior. Lord, speak to us, your people, and do something here that you only can do. Lord God, please bless this church. Convict us of our sin. Lead us into holiness. Do whatever you need to do to bring us unto yourself. Lord, please, you've not left us as widows and orphans, but you have been there for us, shown yourself to be the sovereign God. Then you've given us the pleasure and the opportunity to come and speak before you, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Lord God, speak to your people. Grow us, your church, and give us a holy love for those who are lost. And help our lives to be a poured out offering unto you. Lord, break our borders. Break all of the things that are keeping your your work from happening in our lives. Touch lives. Bring those who are broken to us, Lord. Bring those who are in bondage. Bring those who are in sin. Bring those whom the world has forgotten and cast away. Bring those who who nobody else wants. Bring them, Lord. Bring the prisoners. Bring them, Lord, to show that you are the one who sets the captives free. Bring those who are hungry. Bring those who are thirsty. And Lord, may we be found to be faithful. May we sacrifice ourselves that your name might receive glory. And Lord, may your name only receive glory. And I pray for these, your servants. 
I pray for these your people that are here today. I pray that you place within them a holy desire to make your name known. And whatever it might be, however you want them to serve, Lord, I pray that you touch them now. That your spirit might flow into them and breathe the life of the Son of God into them. Give them a holy desire to make your name known, not just in our community, but all over the world. To help those that are suffering, to those that are in the midst of persecution, to those that have been broken down and beat up, for those that are living in, in, in religions and faiths of idolatry or, and all kinds of manners of sin, may our faith extend beyond ourselves and may extend beyond our walls. Transform us, use us, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.